There are great things kids can learn through screens, but at the same time, as parents, we want to be very conscious about what they're doing in their downtime. Do we want them just to be vegging out with YouTube? And is YouTube kids, how safe are these things that they're using? And we can't just let screens guide their development. We need to take a really active role. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Letitia Barr of Tech Savvy Mama. Letitia is an award-winning technology, education, and parenting blogger who founded Tech Savvy Mama in 2008 by combining her knowledge of child development, psychology, education, tech, and parenting to provide awesome advice for digital parenting topics. In the over 10 years of running Tech Savvy Mama, Letitia has been a columnist for Parents.com, has written for Common Sense Media, and currently advises YouTube as a member of the YouTube Kids Parents Panel. Especially with a year of digital school under many of our belts, we know that our kids are spending more time online than we ever did. So I'm chatting with Letitia today on how we can all keep our kids safe online while letting them experience the great parts of the internet. As always, stick around to the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Letitia, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 110 to check out the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Letitia, welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. Thanks so much for having me on, Chelsea. It's so nice to talk with you. I am so excited. You are the tech savvy mama. Can you tell me what that means? What do you do? I do a little bit of everything. And honestly, (laughs) I've been writing on Tech Savvy Mama since 2008. So if you think back to that far, in 2008, there weren't smartphones, there weren't apps, there wasn't social media, Twitter and Facebook, remember, they were just getting started. Pinterest, we were like, what in the world is this? (laughs) So the landscape of technology when I started writing on Tech Savvy Mama, totally different than what it is now. And to give your audience some perspective, I started because my mother-in-law wanted to give us a hand-me-down computer. At the time, my daughter was in preschool and from teaching and teaching teachers how to integrate technology into their classrooms, I knew it could be a wonderful tool for learning. But at the same time, she was in preschool, so I didn't want that to take away from her development and her imaginative play. And so my husband, who's also in the technology world, he and I really struggled with this. And I thought, you know what, as two well-educated tech-savvy people, if we're having these questions and these struggles, what in the world are other parents doing? And From there, as we know, technology has exploded. That little girl who was in preschool, she's now a junior. She drives. She's 17. So certainly things have progressed quite a bit. And now we're all living and working and learning from home with screens. Our kids have phones. So it's a very different landscape. And I've just tried to help parents navigate this world in a very realistic way as both a parent of teens and also a teacher of middle schoolers. Absolutely. So I think we're going to talk about all three of those age ranges today, young kids, middle school and high school. But let's start with those little kids. We saw the last school year, so many people doing online school, but we all have that question. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. When and how do we appropriately introduce them to iPads and computers? What are the things we need to think about? Well, when we think about what this past year has been like, certainly as parents, we want to hold off on introducing these things as long as possible because we want our kids to be kids. But the very real reality of the pandemic is that all of a sudden our kids were forced to learn through screens because it was how we were able to keep them safe. So I think as parents, it made us revisit our digital boundaries and really thinking about what screen time looks like. And I've always been a big proponent of teaching parents the difference between productive 
and passive screen time. So certainly what your kids are doing during the school day, that's productive time. They're learning through a screen. And that's important for their development. There are great things kids can learn through screens. But at the same time, as parents, we want to be very conscious about what they're doing in their downtime. Do we want them just to be vegging out with YouTube? And how safe are these things that they're using? And we can't just let screens guide their development. We need to take a really active role, especially when our kids are young, because we want them to have that balance. And we want them to realize from a young age what this digital balance looks like and why it's important to unplug. And I think sometimes little kids will do that naturally. They'll just get tired and like leave the iPad and go do something else. So hooray for that. Yes. You probably see that in your own house, right? We absolutely see that in our own house. And it's actually really interesting, the difference in personalities. So my five-year-old will play on an iPad for a little while, but then he kind of wants to go do something else, right? He'll leave it and walk away. The three-year-old will zone in. And so if we're not really (laughs) setting those limits, he'll fall asleep with his face on it if I let him. So I have to really take it away, which begs the question. So with screen time limits, obviously, this is a huge debate with parents, right? Yes. (laughs) Our boundaries, like you said, have changed over the last year. But do you recommend having passive versus productive limits or overall limits? How do you think about screen time with kids? I think about screen time with kids as that very thing, productive screen time versus passive screen time. And that passive screen time can be downtime where they get to guide what they're doing through the screen and that productive screen time. You know, and so many times what our kids are doing with a screen can be seen as more productive than not. But I think at our youngest ages, we need to be very conscious of what that is and what that time looks like. There's some great products out there where you can really limit the amount of screen time your kids are are having, whether you're using a Kindle and you're using Kindle family and setting boundaries that way and really getting down to the nitty gritty. Like, are your kids reading? Are they watching videos? And really kind of limit time according to their activity. That's important. And then things like Disney Circle too that you can also use. So there's a lot of great products out there to help guide families in um, being more conscious about this. But I think it also, there's also the need in addition to using those devices and those products, having those conversations with your kids because you need to have these conversations over and over with your kids as they grow older and as their needs change. So why not start from the youngest ages? Absolutely. So I have some follow-up questions. The first being, what are some of your favorite apps for productive screen time for young kids, maybe like three to seven or eight? Yeah, there's some apps in general. Like I think YouTube Kids has done a really good job making sure that the experience and the environment is safer. I know YouTube Kids has fallen under fire in the past. And I say this because I am a YouTube Kids. I'm one of their parent panel members. So I've been with them since the beginning for about five years now and have guided them through these conversations that I'm hearing parents having in person. And then also that I get from my audience about the safety and the safety issues are real. But I do really love how YouTube Kids through the years has made the app a much safer experience. They're providing a lot more human eyeballs and not just an algorithm to determine what is safe for kids. And they've also realized that kids at a young age who start with YouTube Kids they get used to that environment. It's a comfortable place for them to be and operate in. And so they've also aged up that experience too, so that the experience for older kids is a YouTube guided experience where kids and parents, as they get to those tween years, they kind of set those boundaries together and they look at those things as a family. And so I love how YouTube Kids has really progressed over the years. So that's definitely one of my favorite apps out there. And so how do you set limits as the kids get older, right? So are you literally picking the topics they can watch? Is there an age limit? 
How does that work? It's honestly different for every family. And like, you know, it's different for every child. So mm-hmm. I really encourage parents to figure out what their own personal boundaries are, because it's not a one size fits all for every family. What works well for my family with teens is really different from you and having little kids. And that's really different from the people next door who might have elementary age kids. So I think it involves some conversations between you and your spouse or your significant other, the caregivers, you know, certainly include grandparents, the nanny, aunts and uncles, anyone who your child is interacting with, you know, in this COVID world, or even as we start to open up, right? And that even includes families that your kids are friends with, because what's okay at your house might not be okay at another house, and vice versa. So it's really important to have these conversations, and just understand where everybody's coming from, as you start those boundaries, and they're just going to grow and change as your kids do. And just from an actual functional point, though, so within the YouTube app, you can set those limits within YouTube Kids? Yes, you can. You can set those limits within YouTube Kids, right? Gotcha. My kids haven't reached the YouTube age yet, so this is all new to me. (laughs) That's all right. You have time. Yes. So just know when the time is right, YouTube Kids does have parental controls that you can set. You can set a time limit. And there are also other tools that you can use on your mobile devices. If you have an Android phone, Google Family Link is a really good one. I know Apple has their own tools where you can even take a look at your own screen time and how you're spending your screen time, because I think that... One thing I encourage parents to do is, especially parents of teens, so many times we tell our tweens and teens, like, get off your phone. But it's really telling when you visit the app yourself and you do a personal digital audit that you're probably on your phone more than you think. (laughs) So you have to model the behavior you expect, especially for your kids' sake. I just got a new phone a couple of weeks ago, Leticia, and now every day at the end of the day, it tells me how much time I spend on the phone automatically. And I sit to my husband, like, how do I turn this off? This is just like really upsetting. <laughs> Guilty. I know. I love it when I get my pop up and it's like, you've spent X number of hours on Instagram. And I'm like, oh, phone, if only you knew that this was part of my job, right? But it's kind of Right. That's the question. I actually brought that up. And this is just a sidebar conversation. I've brought up before whether I should get like an iPod Touch or something that has the apps, but... I could like do work on that device and then my phone separately. Cause I think that like sometimes I'll go to check text messages from a friend, like on a weekend when I'm not supposed to be working. Right. And then all of a sudden I'm answering Instagram DMs or something like that. And I've fallen into the rabbit hole. So I'm not quite sure how to manage that for myself yet, but we'll figure out how to do it. You know, and it's a, it's a hard thing too, right? Working in this digital world. And I think parents who have been working from home this year, who had a physical location and they could just leave their work devices at work and come home, that separation for them has been blurred as well. So you and I, because we work and live in this digital space, the line has always been blurred. And so we've had to be a little bit more conscious, but we're seeing that creep into other aspects of our lives because we've been at home because of the pandemic. So it's definitely a challenge that everybody is facing these days. Absolutely. And so part of the change we've seen since 2008, which we could go, you know, hours on all the (laughs) changes that have happened. That's like a different podcast altogether, isn't it, Chelsea? Totally different (laughs) podcast. But I'm seeing younger and younger kids having to like create accounts for different apps or they want to play a video game and they now have access to talking to other people online. And so as our kids start to reach the age where they're interacting more online, they're seeing more comments from other people, reading comments. How do we start to talk to them 
about those conversations and about how to keep themselves safe? That's such a good question. And again, it's something that starts at the youngest ages, but how do you talk about these topics in an age-appropriate way where it has some relevance? And that's the trickiest thing that people face. And one of my favorite sites is Google has the Be Internet Awesome site, and it's a free site, and it operates on five pillars. And I actually have the brochure here because I always get them mixed up. But Be Internet Awesome really focuses on being internet smart, alert, strong, kind, and brave. And so what they're teaching kids in this really interactive way is to be smart about who you interact with online and what kind of content you're consuming, being strong to stand up to others and not just be a bystander, but be an upstander and really advocate for what is and isn't appropriate. And then be brave that you're also standing up for others and being kind. Well, Kindness is universal, right? So even in the digital world, but their alert pillar is all about being aware of what kinds of things are out there, like what things are fake and what things aren't fake. And so even from the youngest ages, there are some really good lessons that can be learned from Be Internet Awesome and in a fun way. They have all these amazing interactive games for kids to play at home. There's a whole curriculum for teachers, which I love being a middle school teacher. The games are really great. And even my middle schoolers kind of enjoy those as well as a way to reinforce what things are really important online. So I encourage families to check that out. Okay. So that's a great introduction. And so no matter how much we prepare our kids, they're eventually going to see something, whether it's a comment or a video that isn't age appropriate, right? That's something that bothers them. And so when that happens, what do we do? So the example is a friend of mine has an eight-year-old that has his own YouTube channel and a very negative comment got posted on that video of telling him to hurt himself. And so Mm. obviously they sat down and had those conversations, but when these big moments come up, how do we as parents make sure that our kids learn from the experience and aren't scarred by some of these scary things that can happen? Yeah, that's a very real thing with kids who have these social channels. And as parents, you want to lock them down as much as possible, but there are still ways that these comments, they hurt. And so good for them for using that as a teachable moment. But I think that's a case where that incident sparked a very real conversation for that family. But I think it's important for kids too Mm -hmm. to feel comfortable coming to us with anything. And I think setting the ground rule that you're not in trouble. Because one thing I've always told my students, even when I was teaching elementary school, it's so easy for our kids to navigate down this rabbit hole and oftentimes go to a site that's not appropriate for them. And kids are often fearful that we're going to get mad at them and it's going to be their fault. But I've always told my students and my own kids that if you get to a place that you're not sure you were supposed to be, just let me know. You're not in trouble. Just please show it to me. And usually it's a very innocent thing that they did. But I think just letting kids know you're not in trouble, but please come get me is a very important thing for them to do. Because as they get older, Mm -hmm. there will be other things that are more serious that you want to have that open conversation. You want to have that open door. So they'll be okay having that conversation with you. So I think that's a great first step for families. And I'm glad that the family that you know, did that and talked about it. And I'm sure it was a huge learning experience. Absolutely. And I think that that specific incidents, we already learned so much and we try to do so much with your kids around bullying. And so it's just an extension of that conversation. Why do people bully? How do you handle bullying? Right. For that specific instance. But sometimes it, it can be other things, sites that they weren't supposed to end up on and things like that. But this brings up a good point and something I wanted to talk about more, which is kids that want to have their own social platform, their own 
business, whether that's having a YouTube channel or creating an Etsy shop or flipping sneakers or whatever it is, as they want to go into that world, what are the things, what are the guidelines we can set as parents? I think a really important guideline is if you want your child to do that, think about how old they are and what's most appropriate. You know, there are lemonade stands and our newspaper routes of the past. You know, those are not things that are really occurring these days. It's all about (laughs) Bitcoin and digital currency and sometimes the flat fast money of flipping shoes, which I know some of my son's teenage friends are really into these days. And also Robin Hood, right? That's another conversation for another day. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) I know, right? So I think, first of all, it's really important for parents and kids to have this conversation together. Talk about what their goal is and how they're going to accomplish this goal. And if they're looking to make money, that's great that they are developing this entrepreneurial venture. But at the same time, is there a give back component? Like, sure, you're making money, but let's also be conscious of the fact that there's a way that you could give back. And how do we want to do that? Is there like an animal shelter you want to give to? But like, let's teach our kids the value of doing this but also the value of money and then how to do it safely through this online venture. Yeah. And so what are some of the ways to do it safely? So I think the ways to do it safely, like take a look at the platform. Etsy, for example, right? My daughter, many years ago, she has a best friend who has cystic fibrosis. And my daughter decided she wanted to make and sell these ribbon barrettes. And so together, we put up a website. She had an online form. And at the time, she was in elementary school. So she would make the ribbon barrettes. And I would be the person kind of managing the order. So it was something we did together. And it was a great learning experience. So I think start by taking a look at what it is they want to do, mm-hmm. how you can do it safely, and also understanding the platforms. Because an Etsy shop is very different from like a Google form with a website. or So figure out how it is they want to do these things. And then do your research, come back together, and have that family conversation. Gotcha. Okay. And what about things like podcasts or YouTube channels or blogs where our kids are putting their faces or their voices out into the world in a way that they might not have a lot of control over who sees it, who watches it, who responds. Right. What are some tips you have for parents on making a decision if that's the right thing for your family? And then if it is, how to protect your child in that process? Yeah, that's a really good question because once you're putting yourself out there, on YouTube, blog, podcast, etc., that becomes part of their digital footprint. And we as parents have been creating mm-hmm. a digital footprint for our kids from the time they were very young. It started with that first Facebook or Instagram post of their birth, and it just builds from there. So being conscious of the fact that they want to do this now, but what might this look like in the future? My daughter's 17. She's applying to colleges next year. If you Google her, her name's kind of generic, but it does come up because it's attached to my blog and some things she's done over the years. So be conscious of the fact that this will follow them. And what kind of digital footprint do you want to create for your child? How might you allow them to be a little bit anonymous in this world that everything's out there for public consumption? Like we can think we're locking down comments or we can be particular about the kinds of photos they share and talk to them about what's okay. You know, maybe it's just photos from the side and not fully full face photo that can get picked up by facial recognition software. But there are some very real things things to think about in terms of how to preserve some anonymity there for their future as kids get older. And that's a great point too, because we're talking about when your child is asking and and making that choice. But like you said, many parents have been posting pictures of their kids since their birth. And so as parents, 
How in your house do you handle, you have a blog sharing photos of your kids? Yeah. So these days, my kids are teens. I have a 14-year-old son and a 17-year-old girl. And I've always, they've grown up in this world watching me post and, you know, be really conscious about the pictures I've taken, the captions that I'm posting to Instagram and things like that. And these days, nothing that I post with an image of them is done without their approval. So every single image I post of them is done with their approval. And I think that's important to give kids ownership. And these days, too, I'm also very conscious of the fact that the brands that I work with, if they want me to do things with my kids, I need to clear it with them first Mm -hmm. because they are not for sale and they are my kids and they're separate from my blog. Certainly, they are the reasons why I started this blog many years ago. They inspired it, but they're not the main reason why I write. It's not a family blog. I'm more of a resource blog. So I think as parents, we need to think about that, too. And Give our kids the ownership and let them have a say in what they want to do. Some kids might want to be totally out there, right? They see it on Snapchat. They see it on TikTok. They see their favorite creators who kind of share everything. But when you peel back the lens, it really isn't everything. And I think there's some good resources. Common Sense Media has a lot of really great resources for families to think about. They have a great parent section with a lot of blog content about things families need to think about. And I love Common Sense Media because they're a nonprofit and their content is really, really mindful. It doesn't give you all the answers, but it definitely gives you things to think about as parents. And their content is segmented by age groups. So there's content for parents of young kids for Versus content for parents of teens as your kids age and might be looking to do these things. I am a huge fan of Common Sense Media and use it all the time. Like when I'm in the bookstore or something for the kids, like just making sure that things are age appropriate. Yes. And just even getting like the warnings of, you know, these are the topics that are covered in here because my son's reading chapter books. I don't have time to sit and read all of his books before he reads them. Um, And that will only get worse, I'm sure, as he gets older. So true. Yeah. And Common Sense Media too. I mean, you know, the movie reviews are so great how you can just take that at a glance kind of high level. Okay. Is this okay for my kid? Yes. Then go. But that also becomes really important later on when kids are wanting to download apps and they have all like a parent's guide to TikTok or a parent's guide to Snapchat. Those things are so super helpful for when your kid's like, mom, put Snapchat on my iPod or whatever. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm not sure. So yes, Common Sense Media, they do all that research for parents to make it a little bit easier. And then also, since I mentioned video games, entertainment software, review board, ESRB, Um, They also now review apps. So they're not just the video game review. They review games for E for Everyone or mature content and whatnot. They are the video game rating company, but they also review apps. And that's super helpful for families to know too. That is super helpful. There's a lot of apps out there that our kids want to download and play on their phones. and That we absolutely cannot keep track of. (laughs) No, because there's like 50 million of them coming out every single day. So who knew when I started this blog, like I could just do that all day, every day. So Leticia, you said, you know, your kids are 14 and 17. Now you ask them about every photo. What age did you start doing that? Because I could ask my five-year-old, but he doesn't have the perspective to really have a valid answer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think it really happened when I realized that some of my blog content was getting stolen Mm. and they were taking pictures of my kids. The way I was taking pictures and sharing pictures, that really made me think about what was out there and what could potentially get stolen. A good friend of mine had her family photos stolen and it's been, it must be on a stock photo site because people see it pop up all over the place. Somebody took a picture of it hanging in a photography store in like Germany years ago. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how many times her family 
has circulated around the world probably because it probably got put on a stock photo site. So I'm really conscious of what I post and I feel like it probably started in elementary school. Okay. When I realized what the internet was becoming, what social sharing was looking like and trying to think ahead to what their digital footprint might look like as they got older. Absolutely. And so as we're setting these limits, right, you know, YouTube kids has their own limits. Our phones have ways to do screen time limits. There's also different tools, if I'm correct, that can hook into like your router and really control internet usage across devices, specific devices in your home. Are there any of those services you recommend? And what are some of the pros and cons of bringing those into your household technology system? You know, it's funny, I was just talking with some fellow moms at my son's baseball game the other day, because baseball's on Sunday, and we had a new quarter starting on Monday. And for many of our kids, they were going back to school in person for the first time on Monday. And so we were joking, like, shut down the internet in the house. So everybody gets to sleep early. And nobody stays up late playing games, because kids had to catch the bus much earlier than they were used to. No more rolling out of bed for virtual school. They were actually having to leave the house and get up and look decent. So I know Verizon, in Xfinity, your internet service provider, Cox, they have these built-in tools. So I would encourage families to take a look at who their internet comes from and what kinds of tools they provide because they provide a whole suite of them. In talking to families, we were talking about Xfinity and Xfinity Comcast by Xfinity lets you very granularly set limits according to devices. So one mom was like, yeah, I'm just shutting down all his devices at like 10 p.m. The internet's just going out. No Wi-Fi connectivity on his phone. His laptop's just going to be like dead in the water. So he's just going to have to like wind down and go to bed where she's like, I need to keep working. So I'm going to leave the Wi-Fi on for my device. So definitely check to see what your internet provider offers and go from there because so many times there are more tools available to us that we don't even realize. So start there and then you can look at what your phone also offers in terms of, you know, monitoring how you're spending your time on that particular device. Gotcha. So are there any specific tools outside of what comes in from your provider that you have reviewed or recommended that, you know, because some of them can limit what websites your kids can go to, what different types of websites they can go to. Do you have any of those tools that you'd recommend? I know Disney Circle is a really popular one, too, for limiting the amount of time kids spend on devices. You can basically set screen time limits through certain number of hours for different things. So families can also take a look at Circle. It's, it used to be called Disney Circle, but now it's just called Circle. Cool. And then when we talk about, you know, you mentioned your kids going back to in-person school, which is exciting that we're all starting to a little bit come out of this <laughs> pandemic. But as we go back, especially I think next fall, you're going to have a lot of kids that were out for the full school year that are going back. What have we learned this year about how kids can learn with technology and what ways are effective so that if we're trying to consider an online class for our kids or how to keep them up during the summer, what are some good resources? Everybody's ability to be successful at online school differs. Some kids I've seen last year, they were not lovers of in-person school and they transitioned to virtual school beautifully. Whereas I know I've had students who have really struggled and are so happy to be back in the classroom. So again, everybody's different, but I think it's really important to you know figure out that balance this summer, what really might work well to do something in person and something online. There are some great companies out there that offer amazing, enriching virtual experiences for kids. And I'm thinking like OutSchool is a really good one because OutSchool, you can pretty much find 
anything. You can learn about the stock market if your child wants to start investing like through Robinhood, or you can do a live baking class or even an asynchronous class. There's so many different things out there. So I think as parents, if you're looking to do some enrichment, figure out where their interests lie because they've done so much online school already. But think about how you might be able to use a screen to tap into their creativity or to teach some math skills in a more fun way than just teacher student. So OutSchool has some really good ones. Last year, my son took a two-week virtual camp through DigiPen, and they did this really fantastic music and sound design camp. It was two weeks, three hours a day. It's really tailored for tweens and teens. So they have some fantastic learning to code classes. My son did a digital music and sound design class, which was using like a mixer and his computer to create his own music. And and at the end, they had this own original piece that they did. So that was a really cool thing that he hadn't done before that was really interesting to him. So really figure out where your kids' interests lie and then also get them outside too. Because if we're going back to school in person, they probably need to reintegrate and practice those social skills again, because that's hard. I mean, we haven't done that in a year. So get them used to that too, with maybe some safe play dates with kids in the neighborhood that they know and love. Absolutely. So I'm curious, as someone who's had an online presence and had a blog for the past, you know, 12, 13 years, and your (laughs) kids have grown up with this, what is their interest in online business and entrepreneurship? You know, it's interesting because my daughter, she had the ribbon barrette fundraiser and she raised thousands of dollars for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation through that. So it's fantastic. It's been a really amazing thing for them to watch what I do. My mother-in-law said to me a long time ago that it's really important for kids to see their moms doing something they love. And I never knew that when I started teaching that I would leave teaching and do this. Mm. I never, I thought my role in school, like I was destined to become a principal. And then I had my kids. I was exhausted. I got my second master's in technology leadership and school administration. I was just exhausted by the end, but I had no idea that I was newly pregnant at the time. Oh my goodness. So Emily was born, my 17-year-old was born at the time, and I decided I didn't want to go that route. And it was really hard for me as a mom and as a woman to think about the fact that I had mm-hmm. gotten two master's degree. I, I was on this career path, like this was what I was going to do. And then all of a sudden, I was going to have this baby and take time away from work. My husband said to me, well, he said, don't look at it as time away. Look at it as time to pursue something you might not have had a chance to do otherwise. And honestly, that's when the blog started. So that was really fortuitous and amazing. And to watch my kids, to have them be part of my job for so long, because it started when they were very little, they've really grown up with social media and watching me do it. So it's raised their consciousness about what things are shared, how things are shared and what platforms they want to be on. My daughter made the decision a while ago when TikTok was getting really big. She's like, I don't want to be on TikTok. They take all your information, she said to me. Well, now she's on TikTok, but (laughs) it was just within the last few months that she's gotten on TikTok. She's like, enough of this pandemic. Can I have TikTok. And I was like, yes, you are old enough now to make these decisions. But you know, for so many years, they were like, she came home in third grade and said, so and so has Instagram, I don't understand why they have Instagram. She was really adamant. She's like, all they post are selfies, and they don't even use full sentences. And she was really like, angry about it. So it's raised their level of consciousness to be in this world with me. And my son has Instagram, but doesn't really post he's not on Snapchat or TikTok or really anything else. His friends are on it, but he's like, eh, I don't really care. So, I mean, that could certainly change, right? But of course, 
I let them make their own decisions. And we certainly talk a lot about things as a family. And I think those conversations are critical, especially as your kids are getting older and they're facing pressures to drink and they might be driving. So there's so many reasons why you want to create conversations about screen time and have that open door to conversation in your household, because it just lays the groundwork for the harder conversations you're going to have in the future. For better and for worse. Absolutely. So are you still in the classroom at all at this point? I am. So I teach middle school computer science part time and I teach eighth graders. I actually teach a high school level class at my middle school and I just came off office hours with my students. And so I was helping them with some of their coding projects. We're doing animated games right now. So they are loving it. So talk about a way to get kids motivated. I mean, here they're building animations and games and that's what they see because that's what they play. And so to be able to empower them to do this themselves, it's really cool. And they're using a lot of math and logical thinking. So I love it. Honestly, it's been really great. It's crazy to think that like when I was in middle school, we were learning how to type, right? Versus like (laughs) animated games. Oh my gosh. Can I just tell you (laughs) typing? I did terribly at typing. I think I got a C minus. I was like the worst (laughs) typist ever. And now people watch me and they're like, you're so fast. I'm like, years of practice, right? But that typewriter and I did not get along. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, my brother and his girlfriend have been together for 14 years now, 13 years now. And they met in typing class, which is is so funny. (laughs) Did they bond about over how terrible it was? <laughs> I don't even know why they were in typing class because they're they're 29. So they like they knew how to type by middle school. I don't know why they were still having typing class, but oh. that's where they met. It's total sidebar. So another question I have is we have a lot of moms in our community that either have online businesses or they want to have online businesses as a side hustle. And so I'm curious, you have a lot of experience in this space. What are some things you would have done differently when you were new, kind of like mistakes you learned from? Oh my gosh. I learned very quickly how important it is as an entrepreneur to get your accounting taken care of. And all these things have been very gradual. And certainly the way we've worked online has changed with more tools available. So I think being smart and being intentional, like I don't have a business plan. Like the internet could blow up tomorrow. I'm like, it's been a good ride. It's been really fun. I've enjoyed it because this really started as a hobby for me. I never thought I'd make any money by blogging because people really didn't do that back in 2008. There was no such thing as an influencer back then. We just kind of had blogs and we shared words online and we served as resources and they were our own digital journals. But I'm seeing moms now who are very smart and business savvy and we all have business savvy within us. But I think if this is once, if you want this to be a way to make money, definitely develop that business plan, be intentional about setting your goals and knowing when to outsource. I think knowing when to outsource is key. People always laugh because I don't handle the backside of my blog on its own. Like I don't, I don't mess with the hosting. I don't mess with my blog design. If there's something that needs to be fixed, I know that I am not the best person to do that. Like I could do it, but it would probably take me a long time and I would break a lot of other things along the way. So I just outsource that because I have an amazing web guy who handles things like within the hour. He's incredible. So I'm like, yes, you handle that because what I'm really good at is content. So not only knowing when to outsource, you need to know what things you're good at and how you want to spend your time because having him fix blog things 
generally saves me so much time that I am happy to outsource that to him so I can focus on what I'm really good on, which is developing content around technology education and parenting. So be smart about your business, know when you're ready to outsource and find really awesome people who you trust and who you can work with. Those would be my three big tips. But yeah, go get them because the world is a big place and there's a lot of internet jobs out there that moms can absolutely do. Perfect. I love it. So the last topic I want to cover is money and digital safety. So there's a lot of elements of this. There's my colleague's two-year-old that constantly orders things from her app just by pounding on the TV remote. (laughs) You know, you've brought up a couple times Robinhood and teenagers using Robinhood. And me, as an investment professional, is a little bit getting heart palpitations listening to (laughs) bring up teenagers in Robin Hood. Believe me, I am I am with you there on the Robin Hood. Like that scares me to death. Interestingly enough, it was my students last year who were like, Mrs. Barr, join my Robin Hood. I get a free percentage of stock if you join. And I'm like, wait a minute. Let's talk about what Robin Hood is. Do your parents know that you're using it? And what is your understanding of the stock market? So as an investment professional, I'm right there with you in terms of wanting kids to understand and not just jump into Robinhood, but to really understand their money and investing and how to be smart. There's that whole financial literacy piece. And as a teacher, financial literacy and as a parent, financial literacy is so important. And I want kids to have a good grasp of that before they dive into something like Robinhood. I'm not a fan of Robin Hood, to be honest. (laughs) And I'm not either. I think that there's a lot of problems with Robin Hood, one of which being that people can access option accounts and margin accounts without a lot of assets, which can put you in a lot of risky positions. But when you talk about kids, and this is one of the things with investing in money apps to me, is that you need to be 18 and older, to access a lot of these things legally. The kids are, you know, checking the box that they're the right age and moving forward. And so what do we do to make sure that our kids aren't putting themselves at unnecessary financial risk? That's a really great question. And I think it comes back to knowing what your kids are doing and having that conversation and making sure your accounts on your devices are set to not letting them be able to download whatever they want, because certainly you can get into trouble with your kids asking Alexa to just order, you know, this, that, and the other. I have a friend whose kids told Alexa to order them a John Cena doll. This giant John Cena blow-up doll showed up at the house and the parents, all right, check that box, like turn off that order feature. No voice ordering. We had a neighbor's 13-year-old order a case of fart spray. (laughs) Okay, that's genius. I was was actually looking at getting some fart spray for as a gift, but I didn't buy it. So that's hilarious that they got a case. I hope they were able to return it. Or maybe everyone's just getting fart spray as a gift for the next year or so when pandemic birthdays can happen again. It was so funny. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's knowing what they download, right? Yeah. And then also just keeping on top of things. Like there's a really great app called Bark and Bark monitors their social. I mean, going back to our social media conversation, Bark monitors all kinds of social media platforms. But generally, if your kids are interested in something, it'll pop up in the conversations they're having with their friends and Bark will be able to capture that and keep you informed as a parent. So certainly shut down all the ability for them to download apps on their own, make them ask you, whether it's games on Steam or apps on their devices, it's so important to know what they're doing and have them talk to you about it first. Like my son, (laughs) a long time ago, he asked if he could play Fortnite. And going back to Common Sense Media, Common Sense Media hadn't reviewed Fortnite, so I just said no. And this was in middle school, and he never asked me again. And I noticed he was watching a lot of videos about Fortnite. And I said to him, what is that? 
he said, well, all my friends are playing it. And I said, well, why aren't you playing it? And he said, because you told me I couldn't have it. And I was like, when? He's like, like two years ago. And I was like, oops. <laughs> I was like, good for you for not <laughs> pestering me. But yeah, I mean. That is some self-control. Yeah. But he knew he had to ask me and I said no. And then he never asked again. And then I let him have it because it was obvious that he was watching YouTube videos so he could keep up with conversations in the lunchroom. So anyways, I've totally derailed our conversation about money. And <laughs> No, this is actually a perfect, like, Bark specifically. So sometimes I have friends whose kids are a little bit older than my kids, right? You're talking 12 to 15. And the question comes up about whether to monitor what they're doing on their phones. And there's the debate of like, do we want to trust our kids and we want to allow them to have privacy, but we also need to monitor what they're doing. Where do you fall on that? And what is the right amount of monitoring to do for young kids that are online? And again, that's a very family specific decision. And I feel like so many of the topics we've talked about like that, I feel like that's been my answer for everything. But what I'm asking parents to do is really look inwards and have that conversation with your spouse or your significant other about how you want to monitor. Do you want to give your kids the trust But what will happen if they break that trust? And really just thinking about all these things, because it's really easy to give in to a kid when they're pestering you. But what does that mean overall? So I think you as a family need to decide Mm -hmm. how much do you want to rely on your internet service provider tools? How much do you want to invest in things like Circle or Download Bark? What is the right level? Because all three options might be right for some families no options might be right for other families and other families might pick and choose. And I'll say it again, what's right for your family isn't going to be right for another family. You know, we certainly know families who they are on all points of the spectrum. So I think it's really important for parents to do that research and to really think about how you use technology, what appropriate technology looks like for you in your home. And also a really critical piece is how you're modeling that appropriate technology use. Are you unplugging when you want your kids to not be using their phones at the dinner table? Are you letting work seep into your family time by covertly checking your phone and things like that? If you can agree that you're not going to do those things, it's going to make it easier to enforce the rules with your kids. And they're going to see that and they're going to respect that. But if you're off sneaking glances at your phone or they catch you in the bathroom or whatever, that lack of respect is going to be built very quickly and they're not going to listen. And then you're going to have to rely on tools and then they're honestly kids might feel resentful when you start to enforce those things when you can't control your own use. So I encourage parents to really look at a really great assessment tool is Google has a digital well-being site, and it's a really great self-assessment tool. So check out Google's digital well-being because it makes you look inwards at your own technology use. And I think that that will help guide you as a family or you as a parent in terms of how you want to parent in this age of technology, because it is, it's not easy. And there are so many things that go into it. Look at your usage on your device and then take that assessment through Google Digital Wellbeing. Absolutely. That is such good advice. Leticia, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting (laughs) hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Ready. Let's do it. What is the best vacation you have ever been on? 
Ooh, that's a tough one. Our family loves to travel. And I would say if we could go anywhere right now, post pandemic, we would go back to Alaska and kayak Kenai Fjords National Park. We did that a couple summers ago. It was amazing. Our family also really wants to go back to Vietnam and Thailand and uh, spend some more time with rescued elephants at Elephant Nature Park and then just eat our way through both countries all over again. <laughs> so <laughs> both of those two things were really fabulous. And I do them in a heartbeat. So let's hope the world opens up and we can be safe one day soon so we can all travel. Those sound so great. Alaska was also our favorite trip. It was before our kids were born, but we did a like small boat cruise. So it was only oh, not a big yes. cruise ship, but a small cruise ship. And we got to kayak and bushwhack and oh, it was amazing. It's so beautiful up there. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Incredible. Like my son and my husband, they uh, mountain biked Alieska, the ski resort. My daughter and I hiked to the summit. It was just, oh, talk about a place where you go, where you want to unplug. Alaska is it because you just want to absorb all the scenery. Like maybe you take your phone out or maybe you take your camera out to take some pictures. But my gosh, like we spent five days on a small boat with a guide kayaking. And it was just incredible. We saw Glacier's Cab, as I'm sure you did. And it was just, yep. yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> we got to see three pods of orcas come together, which is like, <gasps> so that. orcas, when the males mature, they switch pods, right? Because they're matriarchal pods. So they'll meet together, switch the males to increase genetic order and then they'll split up. So we got to see three of them come together and do that. So we got to sit for like two hours and watch them all play and everything. It was fantastic. Oh my gosh. That is so cool. Our guides on the boat when we were in Kenai Fjords, their kayak adventures worldwide. And we had on our boat, this whale identification book. And you know, you can identify whales by the dorsal fin. So I was sitting there with the binoculars, (laughs) like, okay, maybe it's this one. And it, it was just like, I didn't know that that could be done before our trip. But just to have that amazing experience where you're just out there and seeing all kinds of cool things. Wow, that's incredible to see three pods come together. It was probably like all the whales in the book. <laughs> they're all, they're all, they've all assembled. <laughs> As my husband said, you knew it was a big deal when the naturalist was like freaking out. <laughs> the boat. Exactly. Um, it was oh so cool. Gosh. We're making everyone want to go to Alaska. <laughs> I know, right? It's a great place. And I hear they're giving like COVID vaccines when you step off the plane. So if you're not vaccinated yet, like, I guess that's you could amazing. do that. I know, right? Well, Leticia, where can people find Tech Savvy Mama and follow up with you? You can certainly find me on my website, techsavvymama.com. And then on all my social channels, I'm Tech Savvy Mama on Instagram. I'm Tech Savvy Mama on Facebook and YouTube. It's just Tech Savvy Mama with a number one after it because the usual Tech Savvy Mama was not available. So yeah, Tech Savvy Mama everywhere online. Awesome. Leticia, thank you so much for joining us. This was so helpful. You're so welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Chelsea. Mamas, I'm so glad to have gotten a chat with Letitia. My boys are still working their way up to internet time. This conversation definitely helped me think about how my husband and I can set safer boundaries as they get a little older. I hope it helped you too. Before you pop over to YouTube to help your kid figure out whether or not giraffes actually make noise, I rounded up my top three takeaways from this conversation with Letitia for you to take into your own digital parenting journey. Let's dive in. First, remember the difference between productive and passive screen time. I'd never heard this distinction before, and I really like it. Are they reading? Are they watching educational videos? Or are they gaming or watching a movie? What are they getting out of the experience? And are they really zoning out and shutting down? Or are they engaging with the content and learning something new? And what limits are appropriate for each for your family. If your kid is doing online school, then they're going to spend more hours a day on a screen than a child who isn't. And so that does not necessarily mean that they had more negative 
screen time. It just means that their allowance for productive screen time needs to be higher. And then you need to make a decision about passive screen time. Can they possibly have less passive screen time because they've already had so much productive screen time? This is going to fit for everybody's different families, but really make staying aware of how your kids are using the internet can let you set really good distinctions for your family about how long your kid can be on the screen. Two, keep an open door policy with what your kids see online. Quote, from Letitia of you're not in trouble, just come to me is a great parenting lesson in all arenas. But I love Letitia's perspective about where it plays into tech. Kids will sometimes accidentally get to an inappropriate site. Knowing they can come to you without judgment or risking trouble will keep them out of those things without hiding it from you. And it will also allow you to answer any questions they may have or any anxieties they may have for stumbling on something that they know they should not have seen. We also want to remember that bullying is a huge issue throughout childhood, but absolutely on the internet. Having the ability to come to their adult if they're experiencing bullying without fear of what did you do is very key. Make sure your kids know that they can come to you and have calm, open conversations about what they've seen online. And finally, the third takeaway, tech is never one size fits all. Age, personality, temperament of each child will play into the way you use tech and what limits you set for your children. You also want to think about family values, the situation, and the season of your life that you're in. As we talk about with everything, parenting and money, there's no one-size-fits-all answer most of the time, and we have to look inward into what our family values are and what we really want, right? In a season where maybe you're facing some anxiety or some mental health struggles, or your kid is overwhelmed with school or bullying and just needs a break, maybe their screen time is a little bit higher. And then times where maybe it's summer and you want to be outside and you want to be enjoying the weather, then their screen time is a little bit less. And so having those conversations with your kids, making sure you're always aligning your tech decisions with your overall family values, you choose how to monitor screen time for your kids and usage. And it really can depend by child and by season. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Letitia again for coming on the show and sharing her digital parenting tips. Be sure to check out her site and YouTube channel, Tech Savvy Mama. And if you want links to any of the resources mentioned today, head to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 110. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time. 